0: Okay, so this morning uh, we're continuing about Hebrew and our series on Hebrews called Dealt With. And you might remember that so far when we've been looking at Hebrews, because we're starting in the middle and fanning out, remember? We're not doing it from the beginning through. We're starting in the middle and going outwards. And what we've seen established so far is that the, the new covenant or the new way that God relates to us is not like the old way. It's not based on terms and conditions and rules and regulations and law. It's a a covenant of the Spirit. And Jesus fulfilled all the terms of the old covenant and paid all the price under the old covenant so that we could inherit the blessings, that we could inherit the good stuff. Under the old, it was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Now it's Jesus has done good and he gives good. And that's completely different. And then we also found out that that what we have now is not so much a contract or a a covenant with God. We have something called a testament, which is completely different. In that we, we don't have any part to play in that. It's like a will or an inheritance. So our job isn't to earn it, pay for it, show ourselves worthy of it. Our job is to receive it. Two things you can do with inheritance you can leave it on the table, or you can take it. And if you take it, you better use it. Amen. Because when we use it, we take ground in our lives, we take ground for the kingdom, we see lives changed, we see bodies healed, we see babies born, we see destinies come to pass. We see debt cleared. We see God change lives. But God is changing lives because we are using the inheritance He's given us. If we don't use that inheritance, what is rightfully ours, legally ours, then there is no change. Now, show me your Bibles. It's really important this. Show me your Bibles. Or wave your phones or your iPads or whatever you do these days. You know, this isn't just a book that tells us about God. The Word of God contains power. The Word of God contains power. And you might have heard me earlier on say that I believe what is in here. It's not negotiable. It's not changeable based on somebody's opinion. If the word says it, I want it. And I believe that God is who he says he is, that he's a good God. And I believe that I am what this says I am. And I believe that I can do what it says I can do. And I believe I can have what it says I can have. And that's how this works. This is how the Christian life works. The Christian life doesn't work by the the, the, the by and by of just, Week in, week out, well, I read a bit of my Bible, I paid a little bit, I go to church. And I'm a good person. That's not how it works. That changes nothing. It probably doesn't even change us. What changes things is the word of God activated by the Holy Spirit when we believe it. So I'm going to go on a little bit further this morning. And we're going to be... we're going to be in two books this morning because in the Hebrews, we're going to focus in on Hebrews chapters 8 and 9. So if you want to find those, but we're also going to um, draw a little bit on, on one of Paul's letters, to, letter to the Ephesians. Before that, I want to tell you a little story. Um, this impressed me massively when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know how old I was. I think maybe I was a teenager. Maybe I was at university. I, I don't know. But I remember there was, there was a lady who lived in our town. And uh, the town I grew up in called Kendal was it's one of those towns where it's small enough that everybody knows everybody's business. And being northern, everybody talks about everybody's business and, and, and enjoys it. And there was this lady uh, in the town and um, she, she was known, you know, she was well known. She had, a, she had a, a, a nice job. People of her generation used to talk to her and wave at her and chat to her in the street. Anyway, so what happened was, uh, as, as comes to us all, she died. And uh, when she died, what surprised everybody is there was a big story about her in the local newspaper. Because this lady was just like an ordinary person. And there was this big story about her in the, in the local paper. So she had a really ordinary job. But... Unknown to everybody, she did something extraordinary. Every week, out of her ordinary job with her ordinary earnings, she took a little bit aside and invested it in shares. And nobody knew she was doing this, and she just did it faithfully every week, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And what really shocked everybody is that when she died, and why she ate the newspapers, is there was a massive fortune left out of her earnings that was in her will, like millions. And nobody knew she had that. And so, but nevertheless, out of all her earnings accumulated over the years, she left behind a big inheritance, a massive inheritance for those days. And it, it just shocked the whole town. I remember everybody talked about it for weeks. I can't remember her name, but you know, everybody was talking about it for, for weeks. And, and she was far richer... Than anyone had ever thought. And you know the truth is this. That Jesus and our inheritance is far bigger than any of us think. We want to make it small. We want to talk it down. We want to make it something a lot less than it is. The thing is it's much bigger than any of us have ever thought. Because he said I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. That means everything. It's all there. It's ours. It's bigger than we can ever think. So we need to be believers who think big and not think small. Say that. I'm a big thinker. I'm a big believer. I'm I'm going to see what's mine. Okay, I'm getting you going now. So, you know, this is the truth. Whatever might, might be going on in my life, whatever circumstances are going on, whatever's happening, I am blessed. My circumstances might not always be the easiest, but I am blessed. I carry the blessing of God on me. You know, I didn't know that for maybe 30 years, 25, 30 years of my life. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. Nobody told me that when I was a young Christian. If they told me that, maybe we'd have seen some more fruit for the kingdom. But they didn't. You know, I knew Jesus died for my sins, and I knew that one day I was going to get to heaven, but that was about it. And, and I should try and live a good life, and if I was really um, a keen Christian, I should try and take some people with me, because that got me extra bounty points, if I could persuade some people that they needed to go with me. And nobody had just told me that I was blessed, that I had a God who, who had provided what I need for every good work, and in abundance. And, you know, when you think like that, it makes life really quite a struggle. I've got a lot of sympathy with Christians who who are really struggling with the faith. Because when you think, or when you don't know that God has blessed you, when you don't know that that whatever's going on in your life, the circumstances in your life are subject to change. You need to hear that. Somebody, Somebody, more than one person needs to hear that. The circumstances in your life are subject to change you know, uh, uh, this is the truth. The one who wins isn't necessarily the one who doesn't get knocked down. The one who wins is the one who gets up one more time than they got knocked down. That's the truth. You see, Jesus said this. He said that the enemy comes into your life to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come so that you can have life, and life in all its abundance. Now, that word abundance is, is a Greek word, and it's the translation of the Greek word is perisos. Now that, that that probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it, it's something to get excited about when I tell you what it means. Because abundance is kinda of a good word, isn't it? I like abundance. Yeah. I like it. But this is what the perisos means all around excess, exceeding all expectations, greater, preeminence, and past any expected limit past, any expected limit. Jesus came for us to have life beyond the limits, beyond the limits that others set for us, beyond the limits that our past sets for us, and beyond the limits that we impose on ourselves by the way we think and, and, and the way we act and the way we live. And I want to explore this morning this inheritance that God has given us. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to explore this inheritance. We're going to do this over um, two or three weeks. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I want you to see some things, and I want you to read this really carefully, and look at it really carefully. God is the one who's done the blessing. We, we haven't done it. God has blessed us. Everything comes from his riches because Christ paid for it. It's his. Now, this is, what, this is the really important thing. I want you to see that that act of you being blessed is already done. It's past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Has. It's done. It's a done deal. It's dealt with. It's permanently in place. So whether you feel it or not, whether you believe it or not, it's true. And here's the funny thing about belief. Just because you, doesn't be, you don't believe something doesn't mean it's not true. You might just be believing the wrong things. You might think I've only got a little inheritance from God and He's got, you've got a big inheritance, you're just not believing it. You see, you're not trying to get blessed. When we pray, we're not trying to get blessed. We're trying to take what is ours because we're beneficiaries of an inheritance. You know, some people think, well, you know, God will answer my prayers if I'm good. i will answer my prayers if I, if I pray long, if I pray hard, if I pray in tongues for hours, if I do this, if I do that, if I serve faithfully in church every week, week in, week out. If I'm a good person, if I'm a holy person, God, God will, will, will do something for me. Let me tell you this. You're not thinking right. Because God is not for sale. You can't buy his favours with your good works. He's not for sale. He's not to be bought and sold. You can't buy his favours with what you do, your good works. They're not buying his favours. They're a response to his love. So the next question is, if we're already blessed, if God's already done this, how do I get my hands on the inheritance? How do I access these blessings that are mine? There's a, there's a little code that works in the kingdom. It's not, despite what anybody might think, it's not the Da Vinci Code, okay? I watched that the other night. What a terrible film. What a terrible film. I mean, well, I, I thought, well, I'll just watch it and see, see what it's about. And I thought, well, it is. But it was, it's kind of fun. But it's rubbish. Anyway, how do you access the blessing? Here's the code. You know, like if you, if you want to dial the blessing, it's called in Christ. In Christ. You go, one left, two back. In Christ. That's the code by which we access the blessing. When we first, now what you've got to understand, that and, and why we struggle to access these is that I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's not that it's too difficult, it's too simple. The problem is the kingdom is simple and we like to make it complicated. So, when you first believe, you are placed in Christ. Done, finished. That's what the Bible said. You were placed in Christ. You might not feel like you're placed in Christ. You might not know you're placed in Christ. You might not think you're placed in Christ, but you are. It's a fact. If you are a believer, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, what that means. Now, you know, sometimes there's there's two things that we need to do as believers to to disciple each other and to disciple as a body. And that is to be both deep and wide. Wide means so everybody can understand things and they can come along at their own pace. But deep means that we're not just drinking milk all the time. So this morning is one of the going if you'll get this, this is one of the deep ones, okay? Say deep. deep. Say I'm going deeper. I'm going Good, I'm glad Shovel is. Try it everybody else. I'm going deeper. You see I'll keep you awake But it's like this, if you are in Christ, if you are in him, literally you're subsumed in him. That's a good word, isn't it? What that means is your spiritual status is the same as Christ. You're in him. That's your place. It's a bit like you're clothed with him. So your spiritual status is the same as Christ. That means his attributes are available to you. His righteousness is what covers you. Not your righteousness, his righteousness. God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ because you're in him. So he sees his righteousness. You, you, you're in him because you believe for him for your salvation. You believe him for, for the new life that he gives. We are in him and he is in us. Paul said it this way. It's no long, I have been crucified with Christ. My old, I'm dead. My old man's dead. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, or the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm in Christ, he's in me. That means that I have the same attributes as him. I told you, you've got to think big. We we need mind shifts here. Jesus didn't come to rescue miserable worms who crawl along the earth saying, I'm a sinner. He came to rescue people and pull them up to his level. Now, here's the big leap. Are you ready for your big leap? If we're in Christ, and that's real, you know, I believe the word means what it says. So if we're in Christ, that, where is Christ now? He sat down at the Father's right hand. You sung it several times this morning and enjoyed singing it. He sat at the Father's right hand, at the right hand of the Father. Where are you if you are in him? So you're in the heavenly realms as well as the earthly realms. Okay, I'll say that again. You should get excited about this. You're in the heavenly realms as well as the earthly realms. You you might... (laughs) You see, the trouble is, nobody tells us this, so we don't do it, and we don't live from this place. But we inhabit, literally, two realities. I need to take you with me on this, don't I? Because we've got to it. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll, I'll prove that to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, trespasses if you've got an old one, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and he raised you up together, you and Christ, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you sat right now? You are sat on a chair here and you are sat in heavenly places. And you going, well, I can't get my head around that. Well, for years, I couldn't get my head around that. That doesn't change the fact that it's a fact. Just because I don't believe it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And so just because we can't get our heads around it doesn't mean it's not true. Are you still with me? Yeah. Good. Because I'm stretching you this morning. Now, I want you to look at those verses. God, who is rich in mercy, I'll I'll read them from there. Because of his great love, which he loved us, we were dead in our sins, but he made us alive with Christ. Past tense. You are now alive with Christ. You have been raised up together with Christ. When was Christ raised up? 2,000 years ago. When you believed in him and you were placed in him, it's as if that's already happened for you to... Together, you sit and he made us sit in heavenly place. It's all past tense. Whether we believe it or not, the reality is we inhabit two realms. When Jesus to- let me put it this way when Jesus told us to pray, he told us to pray this: "Your kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven." How does that happen? It happens because we are citizens of heaven who go there, who are seated there, who have legal rights there, and we bring it to earth because we are the inhabitants of two realms. We are the bridge across those two realities. You've got to understand that there's a bigger reality than what we see around us. And the reason we don't see so much is we think that what we see is the limit of reality. When in fact, the spiritual reality is actually much more real than the physical. Because the Bible told us that the, spirit, the physical reality was created from the spiritual. And the physical reality is temporal, which means it passes away. But the spiritual reality is eternal. So which is the better? The spiritual. So there's a better reality. Now, I know this is, is stretching you, but you've got to go with me on this. How did we get to be sat in that other reality? How, how did we get to be straddled across the two? Yes, Christ took us there. You see, before the cross, we were only in one reality. In fact, before the cross, whilst there was two realities available, you, you, there was no uh, relationship between them. Now, that barrier has come down. Why is that? It's come down because the realities have been aligned by what Christ did. Okay, this is, this is where you've got to get it. This is where we're going to Hebrews. This is probably the deepest bit of Hebrews. Go with me to Hebrews chapter eight. Verse five. Well, no, it's all good. So let's go off to verse four. For if he were on earth... That's Jesus. If Jesus was on earth, he would not be a priest since they're priests who offer gifts according to law. So basically, what he's saying there is if Jesus was still around, he wouldn't be doing what them priest guys do because that's the old covenant, that's law. And they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So on earth, everything that they were doing was a copy and shadow of what was really in heaven. It wasn't the full thing. It was just a copy and an inferior version of it. It was access to God through a mediator, through blood, through sacrifice, to cover sin. But it was a copy. It wasn't the reality of everything in heaven. That's why God, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever read them, but, There's really complicated, long instructions of how they had to build the tabernacle and the temple and all that. That's because it was meant to be an exact representation of what was in heaven. It wasn't what was in heaven, but it was a copy of it, a shadow, or a weaker version of it. Now, watch this. this. Um, Copy of the heavenly. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Go with me now to chapter 9, verse 22, 26, see what happened. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So, The copy of the things are being made perfect. They are being fulfilled. They are being purified and made perfect. Stay with me. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, He'd then have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Look at it this way. There's a copy, or there was a copy of heaven, the heavenly things on earth. And then there was a reality of the heavenly things. Jesus Purified and made perfect the earthly things so that earth and heaven were aligned. Became one. That's why it's so important we don't read to God through the copy because it's no longer there. It's been made perfect. And Jesus opened the way to heaven by aligning what was on earth with heaven. He made what was on earth perfect so that we could have access to heaven. And that's not in the by and by. It's a dual reality in which we as believers stand. Now I know this is a big concept. But if we get this, we will really see the kingdom come when we pray your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. You see, When Jesus said that to his disciples, he was speaking before the cross to disciples under the law. Because they asked to be taught how to pray like John the Baptist did. He was the last great prophet under the law. So to them, they read it, God, send your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They're pleading with God. Now we read the same words. And we are declarers of that truth. So we say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We carry the kingdom because we have Christ in us and we're in Christ. We're the bridge between the two things. So what was a plea in the old covenant is now reality in us and we declare it with the authority of the name of Jesus. Your kingdom come, like we did with Penny. Your kingdom come. That that Things have to move. Things have to move. Things have to change. Okay. Go back to Ephesians chapter one. Because I'm going to explain a few things and then uh, we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Where are we now? In Christ. That's the code. In Christ. We're in him. Now, some people get a bit confused by that because they they have sort of strange views of the way God operates. And, it, and it's... <laughs> This is one of the passages that really confuses people because they don't understand. It's not that God chooses some and not others. That's not what he's saying. You see, one of the problems is that man has this ability to read into a passage what isn't there instead of reading out of the passage. He didn't choose a particular person to go to heaven and another particular person to go to hell because that would make a nonsense of the fact that he sent us to save people. It would also make an... A, a nonsense of the fact that Peter says it's not God's will that anybody should perish. But there are people going to hell right now. So God isn't controlling all that. He gave his free will, that's right. So some people go that passage you go, well, no, God, you can't get to heaven because God hasn't chosen you. Guys, can I just say, there's only people in church that are worried about that. You know, nobody out there, he's going to hell, he's bothered about that. So let's just stop talking about it and let's settle it for once and for all. What is he saying? He's saying God had a plan before the foundation of the world called in him that he chose so that we could be saved. He chose the plan of in him. We have been chosen because we're in him. Because we believe we are in him. Are you, are you with me? Okay. Okay. And what did he choose? He chose us, according to this verse, to be holy and blameless before him in love. You know, we have the unconditional love of God. And can I just give you some advice this morning? Don't ever listen to anybody that wants to make God's love for you conditional. they're lying to you they're deceived by the enemy they've got their thinking scrambled and screwed up how do I know that because I like to prove everything by the word so, you know, we're word people in this church You know, that's who we are we're not airy fairy motivational people we're word people if it says it, I'm going to have it. If it doesn't say it, I can't have it. That's how it works. If it says it's mine, it's mine. Yeah. My job's to believe it. This is how I know that God's love's unconditional. Because while we were yet sinners, stuck in our sins, he came to die for us because he loved us. When we didn't even want him, when we were even born again, when we were, turned our backs on him, when we were stuck in all sorts of stuff, he still loved us. And, theref- and in Romans it says, therefore, how much more now does he love us, those who believe in him? There isn't conditions attaching to this love. He loves you, period. And he'd gone, oh, well, I don't feel, I don't feel like I, I, I'm really, you know, I, I know he loves, loves Marka, and we all know he loves Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl. Cheryl wanders around the house going, I'm his favourite, I'm his favourite, I'm his favourite. <laughs> she does, she does, she does. And, and, and she probably is, to be honest, <laughs> but he loves us. And, you know, however we feel, and whatever we've done, He loves us. Whatever you did this morning, he loves you. Whatever happened this week, he loves you. Whatever happened 20 years ago, he loves you. He hasn't changed. In fact, when you started to believe in him, he loved you even more. But he loved you without condition when you didn't believe in him at all. And he died for somebody who didn't believe in him. He didn't die for you because you are a believer. He died for you when you didn't believe in him. In the hope and in the faith that some people would believe in him at some point. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Let me get this one out of the way as well. The word predestined occurs four times in the New Testament. That's kind of not very much in order to build entire books off, is it? But still, people have done it. Whole churches have done it. Whole denominations bother about it. Read the words. The other one is in Romans chapter 8, by the way. They both say the same thing. He's not predestined some to be saved and not others. He's. Where's it gone? In yellow predestined us to adoption as sons what's he predestining adoption as sons yeah. he's not predestining people he's predestining us to his adoption to sons yeah. the other one is he's in Romans it says he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ yeah. it's the way God chose he'd do it now this is the exciting bit you are now a son. You are now a daughter. You are now growing into the image of Christ. You're getting to look more like him because you're already now part of the family. It's happened. God decided it was going to happen. He predestined it would have happen, was going to happen. Christ died to make it happen, and now it's real. Come on, let's get excited. You're a son and da- or daughter of God. Not some riffraff. <laughs> I love my parents, but compared to God, I choose God. Yeah. He's got, he's got it, he's got it all together. You know, we not some of our parents were absolutely rubbish. Some of us had good parents, but they don't compare to what I've got here. Yeah. You know, there's this thing. We all feel like we shouldn't be a bit. I don't know if I can say this on camera, but I will. But in the north, we say, well, he's a bit cocky, isn't he? (laughs) I guess in the south, we go, he's rather arrogant. (laughs) Well, who wouldn't be cocky if they were the son of God or the daughter of God? Who wouldn't be cocky if they were in Christ Jesus? You know, the truth is, we need to get like that with the enemy. We need to get like that with people who deny Christ. We need to get like that with the things and people who are pushing us around. We need to get like that with people who put us down. And you know, if we've encountered people like that in our past, people who've hurt us, people who've messed up our life, you know what we need to do? We need to turn around and go, you do not compare to what I have. So I'm looking at what I've got now. And my dad is a good dad. My family is a great family. And by the way, my dad's bigger than yours and he's richer than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Now, here we go. Oh, I'm excited now. Can can, can I have a little bit more time? Are you all right with that? All right, come here. I've got a chair. (laughs) Got me chair. I'm not going to stand on this chair. Right. Uh, I want a volunteer. Anna, could you be my volunteer? Could you come and look lovely here, sat in this chair? Now, sit in the chair, Anna. Now, doesn't Anna look wonderful, sat in that chair? Better than I would. Yeah? Give you a smile to the camera. (laughs) Okay. Now, Anna, sit in the chair. Come on. Why why are you not sat in the chair? Anna, will you sit in the chair? Right. Anna, just sit in the chair. Will you do as you told and sit in the chair? Do you not think what I'm saying is stupid? Because Anna's already sat in the chair. Like we're already blessed. And yet we're still going to God and asking him to bless us. We're still going to God, asking to get the things that we've already got. We're already sat in the chair because we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're sat in the chair and we're bringing heaven from that place. So don't you get out the chair. (laughs) You can if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get it? You can't make somebody sit again in the chair they've already sat in. It's stupid. You can't do again what Christ has already done. It's stupid. We are sat in heavenly places. That's it. And we bring the kingdom from there. Here we go. Verse 6. Oh, I've lost my page now. Now my notes are upside down. Verse 6. I can't look there. It get me worse side when I do that, you see, on, on the Facebook thing. Verse 6, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which, by grace, that's what he did, unmerited favor, not depending on you, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What are you? You're acceptable to God. You're accepted in Christ. You're accepted in him. You know that word accepted, that's the same way. The the angel who comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're highly favoured. Highly favoured is the same word translated accepted there. You are highly favoured in Christ Jesus. That should get you excited. That should get a lot of shouting preaching. You see, outside of Christ, you were... People are enslaved to sin. You were enslaved to sin. You were in the kingdom of darkness. Darkness ruled over you. The enemy had free play in your life. Sin had free play in your life. Outside the kingdom, there was nothing you can do from it. You were isolated from God and you were facing the consequences of sin. But Christ paid the price to buy you out of that kingdom and bring you into his kingdom and seat you alongside him. Verse 7 says, The riches of his grace which he has made to abound towards us. Sorry, verse 6 before that. In him we have redemption, payment of the price through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Not according to you. According to the riches of his grace. Why? Because it's unmerited favour. You are highly favoured. You are accepted in Christ. You are seated in heavenly places because of his love for you. Now, get this last word. I like this last word. According to the riches of his grace, the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us, abound all around excess, exceeding all expectation, greater than, preeminent, past any expected limit. Stand up. Stand. Do you see it? Do you see it? What's holding us back is we put a limit on this thing. We put a limit on it. We've been told there's limits. We've been taught there's limits. We've been taught God does some things for some people and not for others. We've been taught God doesn't do these sort of things these days. Not to expect God to do these things. You know... God does that for holy people. God does that for people who are passionate and fiery and push in. Now, God is not respected persons. He does it for every single person on the same basis because it depends on His love and not on you. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's why we can say to our mountains, "Move!" Even if we built the mountain ourselves even if somebody else built the mountain and dumped it on our head, we can say, move. Move. I don't have to live like that because I am a child of God. Amen? Amen? Amen.